Today's text comes from Matthew chapter six, verses 16 through 21. It says this, and whenever you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so as to show others that they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you pat, excuse me, but when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by our Father who's in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consume and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Well, good evening. If you don't know, my name is Becky, and one important thing for you to know tonight is that I am just not a big football fan. Now, to be clear, it's not because I don't understand the game. That's often people's first reaction. I lived here during the Seahawks Super Bowl years. And it's also not because they exclusively use yards instead of feet in an all-American sport. It's interesting, but not the reason that I don't care for football. No, it's just not my thing. But if you don't know, I work with our elementary kids, and so what I do in my job is spend a lot of time talking about things that are their favorite things, even if they are not my favorite things. So a couple of weeks ago on Super Bowl Sunday, I knew that I needed to talk with the kids about the game so that we could talk about it and then talk about Jesus. Otherwise, it was just gonna keep coming up. So I Googled on my phone who was playing, because I had no idea. And then I asked the kids, who do you think is gonna win? Raise your hand and tell me. And a kid raised his hand and said, Kansas City. And I thought, huh, is that the Eagles or the Chiefs? <laughs> but luckily, our kids know me. And so when I faltered, a third grade boy from the back said, oh, Miss Becky, that one's the Chiefs. And I said, oh, thank you, friend. I appreciate that. And then I, they continued on to tell me that Kansas City isn't in Kansas. And then they were shocked to learn that I could know about geography separate from football. <laughs> you know, when we think about Ash Wednesday and we compare it to the other religious holidays, it really starts to look like a normal weekday game. It's not the Super Bowl that Christmas or Easter are. I imagine no one this week saw claymation Ash Wednesday specials on TV. I've never received a happy Ash Wednesday card or gone on a hunt for eggs filled with ashes, which is probably good. That would be messy. It may seem like a small or insignificant holiday. It's easy to miss. But any sports fan can tell you that the people who sit on the bench for most of the game aren't insignificant, and in big games can end up making a really big difference. All right, I promise I'm done with sports metaphors. I hope that tonight we can talk about and learn together why Ash Wednesday plays an important role in our spiritual lives. A day without the excitement of Christmas or the beauty of Easter, but something in the middle, something that really seems to fit on a snowy, cold February day. It's a day when we remember our humanity, a day to remember that from dust we came and to dust we will return, or at least our bodies will. A time to remember that God got his hands dirty in Genesis when he formed man out of dust and breathed life into him. And also a time to remember that what gives us life is not that dust, but the God who breathes life into each one of us. 
In today's text, Jesus is reminding the people around him of just that. Jesus wants to point them away, to point them away from a life focused on the outward things of life that can never give them real joy. Now, he begins by addressing how people during this time and this place might have been focused on getting others' attention or approval. And for them, this happened in how some people approached fasting. As the text tells us, people would make sure that it was clear they were fasting. They would disfigure their faces, they wouldn't bathe, they would make sure they were out in public to get all of the approval and all of the people around them thinking they were so special and holy. Now imagine for many of us, if we aren't from a tradition where fasting is a part of what we do, it would be easy to hear this text and think, well, that's not a thing that I'll do. I imagine few of us have woken up and thought, what if I didn't shower today and then went to work and made a lot of faces and saw if people thought I was really holy? For many of us, that might not be our spiritual expectation or something that we're worried about being tempted to do. But I wonder if you've ever heard somebody talking about how long they pray and started to feel like maybe they were bragging a little bit. Or I wonder if you've ever heard somebody talk about how quickly they read the whole entire Bible. You know, there's a lot of different ways for religious snobbery, which isn't Jesus' term, but Becky's term, that can come into our lives. You know, for myself, sometimes when I'm reading the Bible, I'll have this passing thought, because I'm a millennial, that maybe I should share what I've read on the internet. I should take a picture, put it on Instagram, Facebook, somewhere. And on the one hand, if I wanna share something because God has told me something good or encouraging or challenging, those are good things. And on the other hand, if part of what my heart wants to do is make sure all of you know that I'm reading my Bible on my day off, that's not good. That's not something that will give me life. That is what Jesus is warning us against. You know, there's a movie that's popular with our kids that talks a lot about what motivates us to do what we do. It's called Inside Out. And it's the story of a girl named Riley and the five emotions that live in her head, joy, anger, sadness, fear, and disgust. All emotions we've probably experienced in one way or another. Disgust, though, has a really interesting role because on the one hand, disgust is responsible for looking at the things Riley's parents try to feed her and deciding if they're good for her or not. For instance, broccoli, disgust is skeptical about. It looks like small trees. And disgust is like, I don't know about that. On the other hand, disgust has the job of making sure that Riley has good friends. And so one, at one point during the movie, um, disgust tells Riley that she is too old for her parents to walk her to school and that if she does, no one will want to be friends with her. Now, on the one hand, disgust is important because it's good that we have an eye out for what we should or shouldn't eat. That is for our own safety. And on the other hand, we also see that relationships are so important for kids as well as adults. And so it's important that our brains are thinking about how do I be in good relationship with people? But you can imagine if you let disgust run your brain too quickly, we're gonna be starting to think more about what other people think about us than what God thinks about us. All of a sudden we're looking for approval and belonging from a from a source that will never give us what we are looking for. Only our relationship with God can do that. So we shouldn't let disgust or what other people think of us run our lives. 
Now the next thing that Jesus dismantles is a place to look for security and flourishing is treasure. I think it's important that we talk about this, that treasure here isn't like treasure in like Pirates of the Caribbean. We're not just talking about people who have chests full of gold in their houses or whatever that might look like today, having a private jet, owning seven homes, 84 cars, whatever it is. No, Jesus knows that treasure is anything that we hold on to too tightly. It can be a variety of things. It can be any sort of wealth or material that we start looking for, for identity and for safety and security. And Jesus knows, because he is so wise, that even the best, the most wise financial choice, even the securest bank, even the best planned out stock portfolio can't provide real security. You know, you don't have to know too much about finances to know that over the last few years, some unprecedented events have led to the financial world looking wildly different than it did five years ago, from everything from buying a house to manufacturing cars. That doesn't even include things like sickness, illness, layoffs that also influence where our money goes that we maybe thought we were storing up for our own security. Jesus knows that these things are not as stable as our relationship we can have with God. And so he's urging us to put our security in the God who is consistent through all seasons of life. When my husband and I bought our house, we made sure that we had a thorough inspection done. Now, if you don't know me, I am a planner. I like details. I like to not be surprised. And so we went over this inspection before we bought the house, and we even looked at all the things that they said, you know, in five years, you might wanna do this. We did it then. We were so prepared. We felt so ready. So when a couple of years into living in our house, we discovered a crack in the wall that appeared overnight, um, about seven feet long, um, in a corner in our basement, We were quite surprised. We were not thrilled. Was this foreshadowed in the great inspection we had had done? No, of course not. Was this something that we thought that we should save money for and be prepared for? No, absolutely not. So what did we do? We did what all millennials did. We quickly called our parents and asked them for their advice. And they advised that we have an expert come out and look at our house. And what they discovered was that um, the foundation under our deck was sinking. And at such a rate that it was pulling off part of our house. And if we did not take immediate action, it was going to be quite disastrous. So had we budgeted for this? Of course not. Had we seen it coming? No. Was I flustered? Yes. For days, I talked to anyone who would listen to me complain about it. But where was my focus? My focus was on this house that we had spent a lot of money on, where I was putting my security and my safety. And where did, my, um, where did I need to be focused? On God, on God who had helped us get this house, who had given us parents with wisdom, who had helped us to get the right person to come look at it, and who would help us to walk down this path together. And I felt much more peace when I started putting my security and my hope back in God, not in the physical things around us. You see, Jesus is calling us to do this reset in our own hearts today, from being focused on the outer things of life, people's opinions, social media likes, societal expectations, wealth, straight A's, wearing the right clothes, whatever it is you might feel pressured to do. Instead, Jesus is inviting us into a season where we focus on our relationship with him and find life and freedom that only God can give. 
It is not by our great accomplishments, our great planning, our great ego, our great reputation for being a perfect Christian that we come to Ash Wednesday. No, it is by God's great goodness that we come to Ash Wednesday to remember that he gives forgiveness and love freely. So how do we do that? How do we reset our hearts? I wanna offer a few spiritual practices tonight, though there are many that exist that you could try. Now for some of you today marks the beginning of Lent, a season leading up to Easter. And this is a time when traditionally the church has talked about fasting and prayer. Two things we see that Jesus has a lot to say about. And Jesus is pretty clear that these practices are things that we should do because of our relationship with God and not because of our relationship with the people around us. So maybe this is a season when you try out a new way of praying, a new place, a new time. I'll give you an idea. When I was in college, I would walk on the Burt Gilman, I went to the University of Washington, most days. It was one of the things that I did for exercise and to clear my mind. And at some point, I started to feel this nudging from God that I should spend this time not listening to audiobooks, but maybe in prayer, at least some of the time. So I was trying to think about what I wanted to pray about, and this idea came to me about praying for people that I saw when I was walking, people that walked by me. So I started trying to think about how I would do that and how I would stay engaged. What I ended up finding was an idea of praying the fruit of the Spirit, found in Galatians 5, for people as they walked by me. So for the first person, I'd pray for them to experience God's love in their life. And for the next person, I'd pray for the joy of knowing God, for the third, God's peace, and so on. Or maybe in this season, you're looking for a way to pray more with your family. You know, Pastor Colin has shared with some of our families one of the ways that his family prays together. They answer these simple questions and then pray over what they've shared. Their questions are, what are we grateful for about God? What do we want to say sorry to God about? What do we want to say thank you to God for? And what do we want to ask for God's help with? Now these questions, you might know, are based on a prayer acronym that was very popular in the 90s called ACTS, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. But sometimes when we change something like that to questions, then we are able to engage not only with all ages, but also across generations and have things that we can ask each other so that we can have more to pray about. These are questions you could do with your family over dinner or with your all-in group or small group as a way to talk about different things that you want to pray for. You see, prayer can be active and creative and engaging, something you do while you're moving or something you do during your day. And so I encourage you during this season leading up to Easter to think about your normal routines. Are there times where you could add in prayer and conversation with God? Maybe it's during your commute to work or walking in between classes. Maybe it's something you do at bedtime with your kids. Anywhere you are, you can be in conversation with God. Now fasting, like I said earlier, is something that maybe is or isn't a part of your spiritual practice, things you've experienced before. But I think it would be limiting to assume that fasting can only be a spiritual practice when it comes to food. Fasting can be giving up something that allows us to focus more time or energy on our relationship with God. I know many people who have taken off a season of watching TV or being on their phone or eating or drinking particular things in an effort to spend more time with God. 
But I wanna encourage you, if you give something up this season, add in that time with God, because the goal is not deprivation, but it is being with God. Finally, another way we do this reset in our hearts is by gathering in community just like we are tonight, to admit that we need God, and not once, but often. We attend church regularly so that we can be in community where we are growing together in our faith in Jesus. And today we get to do something really special. We get to come forward and receive ashes on our forehead in the shape of a cross. It's to remind us that from dust we came and to dust we will return. It's a reminder that we receive life everlasting in Jesus, not in these things of the world. And not because of what we have done, not because we read the Bible really quick, not because we were the coolest looking Christian on Instagram, not because people thought we were great or because we collected the most treasure, but because of the goodness of God. So today we remember the cross and we look to it to remember that the death and resurrection of Jesus is life altering and that is so good. Not just in some distant future, but in the here and now too. So Jesus, we pray that you would help us to realign our hearts. Help us to not turn towards the things of the world for security and happiness, but to turn to you. May this be a season when your people remember your love is steadfast and always with us. In Jesus' name, amen.